You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. So, I heard this story, Barry Swartz, I want to start with this story. He's an American psychologist, and he tells this story about going to buy, he's about 40, 50, and he hasn't bought a pair of jeans in a while, and he goes to buy a pair of jeans. And... Uh, his old blue jeans have got some holes in it. He's worn them out. Um, he's probably had them for about 30 years and he's absolutely worn them. And so he bites the bullet and says, maybe I'm going to have to go get a new pair of jeans. And so he walks into a jean store and he's met with a lovely assistant. Um, and she goes, how can I help you? And he says, I want to buy a pair of jeans. She goes, oh, awesome. Well, you've come to a jean store, so you're in the right place. Um, what would you like? Would you like blue, white, Washed, black, rinsed, stained, or torn? He goes, I just want a pair of jeans. Probably blue. Just want a pair of jeans. And she goes, oh, great, but I will need to work out if it's going to be straight, thin, skinny, flare, boot cut, high rise, low rise, or medium rise, or a blend of those. He goes, I just want a pair of, je- I just want a pair of blue jeans. Anyway, an hour pass, and he walks out, of the store with the most comfortable, amazing pair of jeans he has ever worn or owned. And as he's celebrating this achievement, his sadness hits him as he thinks about all the jean stores in the world and all the different varieties they must have. And he's sad to think that somewhere out there, is probably a nicer pair of jeans. And so he's unable for that moment to enjoy that because he knows that somewhere out there, with all the choices, there is guaranteed to be another, even nicer pair of jeans. And it's meant to be a humorous story, but he tells it because Barry suggests, uh, this leading psychologist in the field of choice and consumerism suggests that we are now, especially in the West, paralysed by our choices. On a deeper level, he says, our anxiousness and worry only increases by the endless choice, consumerism, and illusion of control that we have here in the West. Read that one more time. This is Barry Swartz's analysis or theory. Our anxiousness and worry only increases by the endless choice, consumerism, and illusion of more control. Great, interesting thought. Barry, not a new idea though, mate. If you see Barry, let him know it's not a new idea. In fact, 2,000 years ago, a man from a nowhere town, nothing good comes from Nazareth, I think they said, was the saying, who was born of nobodies, sat on the side of a hill and amongst other wisdom said this exact thing. He beat him by 2,000 years. And that is why if you've been with us or you're thinking you're joining with us, that's what we're passionate about, this guy's teaching. Since last November, we've been going through Jesus' teaching and we're in a part at the moment called Sermon on the Mount. This church, we actually believe he was more than just an awesome teacher because he also did miracles that were seen and witnessed and written about. 
And then at the absolute almost lunacy of that time, he says he was actually God. And what's he go and do? Died and then rose again, witnessed it, let a couple of hundred people see it, let him see him ascend, and people wrote about that. So we, and then now, no other man has affected the world more than this man. No other man has transformed people more than, well, no, not even close, and still transforming today. And so we believe here is God. And so who's excited to unpack this man, the God man's teaching this morning? Yes, please. That's a good answer. Yes, please. So let's have a look. Matthew 6, 25, 34. If you've got a Bible, a Bible app. Matthew 6, 25, 24. If you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible, Matthew's the guy that wrote it. The 6 is the chapter. 25 to 34 is the verse. It's just a reference system. There's nothing magic about the numbers. They're just how we find a particular passage. Let me read. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. It will come up on the screen, but it can be hard to see. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of those. Solomon was a super rich guy, super fashionable, super wise. Jesus is saying... Even the lilies are dressed better than this guy. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We're in a part of Matthew where Jesus sits on the side of a uh, a mountaintop or hillside, and he gives the longest recorded sermon. Hence, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And the passage, just a little bit of context to this verse, Jesus has just finished talking about the direct connection between your passion, your heart, the things you want are interested in, and where you spend your time, your money, and your effort. So Jesus just finished saying, if you're putting all your stuff over here, that's what, you're, that's what you love. If you're putting all your stuff here... That's what you love. That where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're not going to unpack that. James, one of our elders, is going to speak about that next week. I'm super excited to hear from that. But for now, we're going to talk about the flow on from that. He now makes a connection between the stuff we have, like Barry Swatts, has a direct connection between the things we worry about. 2,000 years before this American psychologist with all of his research, expert in his field, Jesus is sitting on the side of a mountain 
Not saying I told you so, because he had 2,000 years before, long before. Jesus wants to say something about the anxiousness within us and the anxiousness that comes from living in this world. Now, before I do that, I'm always actually a bit uncomfortable when I talk about mental health because you cannot solve it in a sermon in 20 minutes. Just in this room alone and in the next service, there will be vast different uh, aspects of mental health, people struggling with a whole different things. And so my goal this morning is not to go, oh, I just solved it. My goal is hopefully to say, let Jesus into it. Let us journey with you. A sermon is not meant to solve something. It's meant to encourage, challenge, or bring us closer to Jesus. And so I won't be solving anything this morning. And this attitude, actually, this attitude of a direct fix has damaged so many people in global church. This, this idea someone comes up and they're broken and they're hurting and they're vulnerable. We have all know friends that have these stories. And they say, I need help. And someone says, I'll just pray. God will fix it. It's good advice, the pray bit. And he may fix it. He does miraculously heal. But we're called to disciple, journey, walk the walk together. That's why we do church together. And so this, this actual instant idea that if you're struggling with something, we can just put a God band-aid on it and it's done, we know is damaging. God wants us to walk a path. And the problem is, we say to someone, it's fixed. Where do they go? Where do they go after church? Into the wider world, which is broken. And preaching another message. It's like me saying, someone coming down, I love prayer and I do believe God heals. But it's a bit deeper than that, the journey with Christ. Someone comes down and says, Pastor Steve, I'm struggling with a hamburger addiction. I say, me too, a little bit. Let me pray. I do a sermon and at the end of the service I say, all right, supper tonight, if it's a night service, is at McDonald's. Let's all head down there. People come in here and then they walk into a world that is just preaching anxiety, preaching worry, preaching they need to be better. We need to understand this as well. Jesus in this passage does not say, if you worry, simply just pray, it'll be okay tomorrow. He actually points to the core issues in our world and some of the fundamental flaws of our thinking and he gives us a direction to look to. The kingdom of God, he says, look to that. Can you imagine 2,000 years later, what Jesus would be thinking. Let me give you a couple of stats. Uh, the Who, which is a band, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. It was a massive global study done recently on adult health. And it said 15% more of people in higher income countries were more likely to face episodes of depression and anxiety. The ones that are doing better than the rest of the world have a 15% higher chance it said there is a massive comparison between France, Netherlands, New Zealand and United States, which I'm going to include Australia and New Zealand because we always include them, has a vast contrast compared to China and Mexico. Is it to say New Zealand, United States, higher levels of depression, anxiety and mental health issues. 
How about this? Almost a quarter, 22.8% of young people aged 15 to 19 show the symptoms of probable serious mental illness. That's up 18.7% in the last five years. Yes, we diagnose better. I get that. All those, But our environment is breeding something. I heard this quote. So many people in the West are full of anxiety because they expect not to be. Because our church, right? Not not, not our church, our society preaches a message that says the ultimate goal is not the kingdom of heaven. The ultimate goal isn't God. The ultimate God isn't even purpose. It's happiness. We have to be happy, they say, all the time. Happiness is the new king. It's the God of the kingdom outside of this room. Turn on your TV and people will have probably better lives than you and seem more happy. Sorry. (laughs) Turn on the internet. Everyone is smiling. Who takes a bad photo? Even the ones that say hashtag no makeup, you know they have a little bit of makeup on it. But they're smiling. They're not unhappy. No one takes, I'm having the worst day ever. And um, look at this. I look horrible. No, they're smiling. They're better than us. They look better than us and they've been photoshopped better than us. I don't know, I find you can have a house, you can be blessed with food and a family, and then the neighbour pulls up in a nicer four-wheel drive. Suddenly, like Barry, you're like, oh, that would be nice. Or you have beautiful kids and they're full of energy and you take them to the playground and then there's a mum there and her kids are sitting, singing Kumbaya and holding hands and praying. And you say, my kid just pulled my other kid's ear off. And you've got home feeling like a bad parent. But you have, you're blessed with kids. You're blessed. It's crazy. Our society is so competitive. Even in church culture, 220 churches on the Gold Coast. If we don't like the way it's painted, we leave. We don't like the size, shape, sound or style, we leave. And instead of seeing church as a community that is full of compromise and sacrifice, instead of saying to God even, what do you want in this place? Most of the time you hear from people, what do we want? What do I want? And that isn't a burly church thing, that's an every church thing. What does God want? And so the research, and even more importantly, Jesus says, this train of thinking, this environment we live in, isn't going to end well. And so he pinpoints, and that's what I want to do this morning, three things that we worry about, and he challenges us to let them go. Let me give you number one. If you're taking notes, please um, have a think about this, check my passages, meditate on this. Use it in your quiet time and have a think about what God might be saying to you through this. So first of all, he says, Do not worry about the essentials of life. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body. Let me just... Do not worry about food or drink. Of all the things he says do not worry about, I reckon that's a pretty good thing to worry about. That's the essentials of life. So it's almost a noble thing to worry about. But he says, don't do it. We live in a society where that's not a massive worry for majority of us, but it is still a massive worry. We still have homelessness and we still have plenty of hungry people. Interesting point, though. This is kind of a side 
a side note that I found really interesting. Jesus doesn't directly say, you will never be hungry. Doesn't actually say that. It's important. He doesn't ever say, you'll never be hungry. And we know this is true because we do have people in our planet die of starvation that are being prayed for. It does happen. And so it's important. He doesn't actually say you won't be hungry because people get hungry. Christians get hungry. Interesting enough, he says, I have set this world up so even the birds have food. It's people, and I like this, it's just a side note, it's people who create barns. It's those that spin and toil. And as I thought about this, and, and, and go with me on this for a moment, society has meant farmers miss out now because of how cheaply they sell milk. Our consumeristic nature for meat means we do all types of things to animals. I'm a meat eater still. I'm just saying this is a fair comment. We mass produce. In some cases, famine and natural um, disasters are the case but in a lot of places in the world, the reason people are hungry is corruption, greed, and war, right? We go ahead and we build our barns, yet the very thing we need grows on trees. Interesting point. Side note, another sermon for another time. But we're the ones messing this up. Jesus said, I literally, the saying, it doesn't grow on trees, literally it does. There's enough food for the whole planet. Another sermon, interesting thought about building barns and building empire. The key though, isn't, that isn't the point Jesus is making directly. The key here is to not rely on food. Man does not live on bread alone, Jesus says, as he takes on Satan in the desert. We are to put our faith in God. Yes, we're allowed to eat. Yes, we should eat when we're hungry. Yes, the Heavenly Father set up the perfect system in the world that literally grows everything we need and we've constantly destroyed it. And yes, he does. Let me just say this little side note. He does provide fruit. He does supernaturally provide. Has anyone read about George Mueller, the guy that started the orphanage? This is the other side of that. He in line of what God was doing in the kingdom, he'd sit his orphans down at the table and a milk truck would crash outside, no one hurt, or the battery would stop and they'd bring milk in and go, anyone need this? And they'd be saying grace. Amazing man of faith. God does supernaturally provide food also. He just doesn't, that's not his promise here. His promise isn't about food, his promise is about him. God offers the living water. In fact, in John chapter 7, and I'm going to skip through the passage, so write this down if you're taking notes. John chapter 7, 37 to 39. Jesus comes into a festival. And I picture a festival, there's food trucks, there's drinking. We know there's food and wine. And he looks across at everyone indulging in food and wine. And he actually says this at a festival in John 7, 37. I'll read his words. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in were later to receive. 
the Spirit of God. Guys, I know you're indulging in those six different food trucks and the wine is on point. But just for a moment, realize that God is walking amongst you and he's offering the Spirit, the living water. His Spirit. If we have nothing else, Jesus says, we have that which is more than enough and no one can take it away. So my first point to counteract that is rest in God's living water. Number two, don't worry about status. Do not worry about the essentials. Why be anxious about clothing, he says. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. The places you're seen, the clothes you wear, the things we own, the way people see us. God essentially says, who cares? Or he says, you probably care, but maybe not so much, guys. He then references flowers that exceed the most well-dressed person they could have thought of at the, in history, Solomon. You see, as we remembered before, Jesus has paid a price. Jesus didn't just mean the act of crucifixion was finished when he said it is finished. He meant I've covered it all, 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 everything, everything you think you need to do, it is covered. So you don't have the same job as your neighbour. The king of the universe doesn't see a difference. Your friend on Instagram, your friend's Instagram is pumping and got so many more likes. God doesn't see that. How's this one? You do heaps of things for the church. You're the biggest servant there is. God appreciates it. He does notice. But how's this? It doesn't add a single thing to how he thinks about you. He already loves you. He already sees Jesus. Both sides. You can never not do enough and you can never do enough. Jesus, God sees Jesus. You're okay and you can rest in that. Rest in God's view of you. Rest in God's view of you. And thirdly, this is the hardest one, I think, although food and food and water are pretty important if I didn't have that, but do not worry about death. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? He says, Jesus is basically saying, you don't have any control over your mortality. Since the beginning of time, we have tried, what have we tried? We tried every shake, magic, trick, pill, vitamin, drink, fitness routine, plastic, cream. I don't know, there's a list of other things. To live a little longer and look a little younger. And none of it's worked. If anybody is... Over 150 here, come and have a chat to me because I want to talk to you about what cream you're using. But once we accept we will die, once we accept we have no control in that area, once we realise that the whole universe is not centred around us, we don't have to be happy every second. In fact, that's impossible and unhealthy. And in that moment, in that moment when we have a realistic realisation of who we are 
at first it might feel a bit restrictive, but then upon meditation, upon prayer, you realise it's incredibly freeing. God's in control. He's good. He sees Jesus. He died for you. It's okay. It's going to be okay. And so we rest in God's eternal kingdom and plan. If we're hungry now, we won't be eternally. If we're tired now, we won't be eternally. If we're sick now, we won't be eternally. Rest in God's eternal kingdom and plan. And so lastly, what do we do with this? Do I just stand up here in a a world and an environment that he's created to make you worry, that makes you feel like you're not enough, that when you're having that conversation about, me and Mez did it the other day, we had a conversation about something, can't remember what it was. Let's pretend it was about Blue Pews. And then I turned on my Facebook and there was an ad for Blue Pews. The world, everything is marketing, telling us we need more, that we're not good enough, we're not as good as the person next to us, we're not as good as mother, as that mother, we don't have as much as that guy, we don't do as much as that person, we're not as good as Christian as that person, we're not as perfect as a church as that church. Do I stand there knowing that that's what we walk into about 10 seconds after church and say, all right, let's pray. Let's pray. But let's do a little bit more. Let's cut this out of our lives. If your environment and the voices in your life aren't working, if the whole thing is rigged towards making you this anti-gospel, then seek the truth. Jesus at the pointy end of this ministry, and no one liked this, this is why they all left. And the only reason disciples did stayed is they said, oh, where else have we got to go? He said, die to yourself. Kill those areas. Rest in Jesus. And so find ways to hear that voice. Find people in your life that tell you that voice. Come on, rest in Jesus. He's enough. He's got this. Find a church at its core. Who cares about the paint, the decoration, the chairs? At its core, you want a church that tells you that story, that God's view of you is enough, that you are enough, that it is finished. That through accepting Jesus and following him, you can be free of the anxiousness and consumeristic death-breeding mindset of our world. Kind of the second application is find small groups. I talk about my Google group because that's, that's my small group at the moment. Every, we're doing it fortnightly at the moment. And I try to, let me tell you about how a small group goes. 50% of it is trying to log on. The other 50, like 20%, and I'm going to get my mask wrong here, is like us trying to understand each other. 4% of it might be Mez telling me not to preach them. Settle down, you're getting excited. And then like, but I don't know, I don't know, what am I up to somehow? <laughs> Come on, mate. 34%. <laughs> Maybe 34% of it is the group saying to each other, your kid's behaviour, your kid's sleep routine, your busyness, your stressful job, they don't define us. Jesus does. And I need that. I'll sacrifice the internet, the conversations, the everything for about 2% of a midweekly reminder that Jesus is the centre of our universe and Jesus is enough. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. 
If you're in a small group, a young adult small group, and 80% of it is eating food, but 2% of it is that, fantastic. That's what it's at the core. Jesus, you are enough. And I need that during the week. I so badly need that during the week. And lastly, if it's not working, if you're the guy with a hamburger addiction going to McDonald's just because you like the decoration, don't keep doing the same things. If social media isn't working, it's okay. You can delete it. If TV is telling you a counter-gospel, then unplug it. If your business is just about building wealth to be consumed and keep you secure in this lifetime with no kingdom view at all, then seriously, maybe it's time to quit. If the amount of money you make is trapping you, not saying that's evil, but if it's trapping you, Jesus tells no problem telling the guy, then give it away. There's giving cards at the back. If you feel led today, that's fine. Give it away. That would, that would help with a playground. But more than that, if it's trapping you, then give it away. Cut it off. Die to it. And then rest. Breathe out. And enjoy the day the Lord has made. Saturate your life. And I'm not saying not block your life out. I'm going to ask the band to come up now. And Anne's going to share a pretty personal story and a pretty personal song, and it's just perfect way to finish today. Um, can I invite them up now? Today is the second anniversary of my friend Lisa's death. Lisa passed away on her 44th birthday. She would have been 46 today. Lisa was a Christian from her teenage years. As she got involved with boys and partying in her early 20s, Lisa forgot all about Jesus, instead focusing on earthly pleasures. When Lisa was 40, she found out she had stage 4 cancer of her bowel. Her chances of survival were slim. Lisa endured many operations and treatments. She hoped that a cure would be found before her time was up. She was very anxious and travelled the world searching for the answer to extending her life. When Lisa was 43, knowing that there was no cure coming, Lisa connected with Jesus. Lisa reclaimed his peace in knowing that she had hope, the hope of an everlasting life with God in heaven. Of course, there were times when anxiety would consume her. She had two teenage children that she was leaving behind. Her distress regarding them was sometimes overwhelming. Lisa would listen to Christian music to remind her of God's love and promises. This song playing in the background was her number one go-to song when all hope seemed to fade behind her anxieties. She would be reminded of our Father's goodness and love. Lisa lived her final months knowing that God loves her and would take care of her forever in heaven with him. We played this song constantly in her final weeks. We played it when she passed away at the hospice. We played it at her funeral. Now I sing it when I'm struggling and I think of what Lisa managed to get through knowing that God loves her with all that he has. I encourage you to look up It Is Well by Bethel on YouTube. Whatever you're going through, you can make singing this song a turning point, a time to let God bring peace to your soul. Far 
And through